everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've only met virtually, we just met this year. She is the Christian Service Coordinator at a Catholic school, a blogger. We both contribute content to the Holy Ruckus, and she has an amazing podcast called Tell Me If You Can. It's Ogechi Akalabari. Welcome, Ogechi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love that we're connecting finally. Like I said, we've only kind of connected virtually, so it's nice to connect like this. Yes. (laughs) Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? So my name is Ogechi Akalabari. Like Julia said, I work as a Christian service coordinator at a local all-girls Catholic school. This is my second year in that position. Previously, I worked in nonprofit and local government, um, working with uh, populations that were in need of social services. Um, And so I've had a lot of experience dealing and seeing how people that are in need have needed access to resources in our in our local communities. I'm also a community organizer, so that gives me another lens into the needs of my local community. Outside of my work and volunteer positions, I serve as a catechist in my parish. I've been doing that for six years now, teaching seventh and eighth grade catechesis. And I am a power lifter, which is a fun fact about me. I'm a competitive <laughs> power lifter. <laughs> and, awesome. um you know, I like to create digital content that blends my passion for wellness and beauty and fitness along with my Catholic identity. I've also been a public speaker speaking on panels and to youth groups and parishes about um, working towards racial justice as well as being inclusive in, and um, more holistic in their chastity talks to young women. So that's oh my gosh. a lot, but that's me in a nutshell. No, but that's amazing. You do have wear many hats and, and have your hands in many things, but all of those things are so important. And what from I have seen on social media and what I've have heard from your content, I mean, you do it so well. You you do seamlessly weave those things together. So I think you're you're doing the right things. You're doing it well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, I can relate to the middle school catechist thing. I think that's something that we have in common in, in addition to creating social media content and trying to influence with our faith. How long have you been doing the middle school thing? The catechesis, did you say six years? Yes, six years. Do you love the middle schoolers? I think they get a bad rap, but I love them. <laughs> you know what? I I had the option of doing elementary or middle, and I for sure knew that I wanted, if I was going to deal with little kids, because I, for many years, resisted this request to be a catechist because I didn't think that I was knowledgeable enough to be a catechist but it's actually been the best blessing for my faith. So anyone that might think that they don't know enough to be a catechist, you'll learn very quickly and Mm -hmm. you'll always know a little bit more most of the time than a seventh and eighth grader about scripture (laughs) and theology. And if if you don't have the knowledge, they're always welcome for you to say, I will get that information for you. So kind of being humble in that work has been so rewarding. Middle school is a challenge. I'm not going to lie. There's so many <laughs> things changing in seventh and eighth grade. Yeah. Seventh grade, I will say, is a little bit kinder to you because there's still there's less hormones, less a little bit less um, drama, and they're a lot more attentive. 
But eighth grade is so fun because they're so close to the sacrament of confirmation. And you can really like pour into your passion about Holy Spirit and that sacrament with them. And you can really guide them along that walk as they prepare for that sacrament. So um, I like both. I've enjoyed both and I'm excited this year I'm teaching seventh grade. So it's, I have a new batch of students that I'll follow from seventh through eighth grade as they prepare for confirmation. That's awesome. And that's so well said. Um, I think that's a great plug. I agree that a lot of people maybe refrain from doing uh, catechesis or at the parish level because they think they don't know enough. But I always tell them, I'm like, you're definitely going to know, you know, for the most part, more than a child about some of these issues. And if not, you learn with them. And like you Mm -hmm. said, you can ask and just say, hey, I'll get back to you. I don't know the answer to that. And I think that's that's very honest. And they appreciate that honesty. So I think that's really well said. So thank you for plugging um, parish (laughs) catechesis as well. I appreciate that. So we're here to talk today about the Good Samaritan from Luke's Gospel. So what I'm going to have you do, um, if you have the passage pulled up in front of you, did you, which translation did you, are you going to use today? I'm reading from the USCCB website. Awesome. So I'm, whenever you're ready, I'm going to have you read um, Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged him. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was the neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, the one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. I can't wait to get into this with you. So I'm going to give a little background on the history of this passage and just kind of give it some historical context. So the Gospel of Luke is one of the synoptic Gospels. It's similar to Mark and Matthew. But in Luke's Gospel, we get a little more insight into Jesus' childhood, and he includes the infancy narratives. Luke was a physician, so he tends to focus on Jesus' healings in his Gospel. And he also includes a lot of parables, like the one that Ogachi just read, called the Good Samaritan. And to give you some perspective, Samaria was a region between Judah and Galilee, Judah being in the south of Israel and Galilee up in the north. And people would have traveled through Samaria to get to either location, and Jesus would have made that trip himself. Because of religious reasons, the Samaritans and the Jews were considered enemies of each other. The Jews were often at odds with the surrounding communities because they believed in one God, whereas these other communities believed in many or not at all. And right before this passage that she just read, there is someone questioning, the Pharisees are constantly questioning Jesus, and he gets this question of, um, what do we need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get the follow-up question, well, who is my neighbor? And then he explains it through this parable. So that gives us some context for the background and kind of where in Israel we're talking about. And this would have been a really tangible example. It would have been shocking, I think, for 
people listening, but also like, I mean, it would have, the message would have been clear. <laughs> so I don't know if you know anything about the background of this at all, or you wanted to add to that. No, you're the, you're the <laughs> I know, description. I'm a I talk forever. You basically, <laughs> um, I'm, um, one of the things I didn't mention is I am a lector at my parish and pre COVID, we would have, um, formation right before each weekend before our assigned time to read. And we'd break open, the word we usually break open the first and second readings and a little bit of the gospel. So that would be usually there's at least one person that's kind of like you that has the backstory. Um, if I if it was ever my turn to lead formation, I would have to research the backstory. But you did such. I mean, I can't even add anything to it. But I I did I did want to talk not so much about the historical context, but I like to see things on the like a, like a person to person level, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, as someone that teaches like charity, charity in action is one of the middle school electives at my school, mm-hmm. and I teach that elective. Um, so I, I like to have I like I love this gospel so much in just teaching what charity means and how to put that into practice. And I also like this gospel when we talk about things like injustice in the world and putting that into practice and how the three people in this story, four, if you include the person that was the victim, play an important role when we talk about justice or caring for our neighbor. So in this story, there's three people that have a decision to make as it relates to this person that they should be able to see as their neighbor. Like you said um, earlier, the two great commandments that Jesus mentions is loving your neighbor as yourself, and then knowing who your neighbor is and being able to see that and be able to express that love is important. And the first two made a poor choice. They saw their neighbor because they saw the guy they had to have to be able to go to the opposite side. They saw their neighbor, but chose not to express love of neighbor. And the third person, the unsuspecting Samaritan, not only saw their neighbor in distress, but acted out of love towards that neighbor. So I, I like to think that love is an action, it's a choice, and this parable exemplifies how not just saying that you love your neighbor, but acting in a way that shows that you do is key to living out this gospel. That's really well said. Yeah, I mean, I this is I do the little historical stuff because I geek out about it. I also went to, <laughs> I got to go to the Holy Land last year, so it's given me so much more perspective of I know, you know, where I know where Jerusalem is in Jericho and like, it's not just words on a page now for me. So I think I geek out even more. But the question I always ask my guests first is why did you pick this passage? And you mentioned a little bit about it because of your, your work in Christian service. I don't know if you want to speak to more about what you love about this passage. Is there anything else you wanted to identify? I just, I just love how practical it is and how attainable it was, especially as a parable to the people that Jesus is speaking to. Um, and I also love how, I don't know if this is like c- politically correct or religiously correct to say, but Jesus in the gospel, and this is probably how I would talk to my middle school students, like Jesus was a little bit shady. He really was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he was coming for those, you know, the, like he mentioned priests and Levites for a reason. Right. And um, he's, he's saying like on paper, you look like you're living out the commandments perfectly, but in practice, you're not quite. And so um, one of the mottos of the school that I work at is actions, not words. And it really is a huge part of who I am and has always been a huge part of who I am. And like to say, walk the walk and not talk the talk. And this person was literally walking (laughs) by 
and was able to, you know, put their beliefs into practice. And even if that person was not as knowledgeable as the Levite or the priest, they were able to be a better example and teacher of the faith just by their actions than any recitation of scripture or recitation of rules and laws could ever do. Um, And so this also is something that I like to share with young people because sometimes we might feel like we haven't gotten to this place as like whether young adults or teenagers or children, you have to get to a certain place of piety or faith or holiness to be taken seriously in your faith, to be impactful. But sometimes it's the youngest among us, the people that the kids that I teach that teach me more about my faith than anyone Mm -hmm. that I work with that has like a bajillion degrees could ever teach me. Mm -hmm. And it also gives us hope that we can be great examples of God's love just by our actions, just by being genuine and just by seeing our neighbor, truly seeing them and expressing and acting on that love that we're called to have for that neighbor. Absolutely. So um, there's, there's a quote from Pope Francis and he says, the decision to include or exclude those lying wounded along the roadside can serve as a criterion for judging every economic, political, social, and religious product, project. So in everything that we do, whether it's religious, social, political, economic, we're making a decision, mm-hmm. right? And we're choosing whether we're including or excluding or ignoring those lying wounded. And those people could be any oppressed group or group experiencing injustice along the roadside of life. So I think it's like, I don't know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful parable. So it's one of my favorites. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot there. And I want to address some of the things that you said. First of all, I do, I, I love, I call him sassy Jesus to, <laughs> to my students. <laughs> like he just is sassy sometimes. And I identify with that. I've, I've as like I'm also kind of sassy myself but I think you're right I think part of the thing that strikes me the most about this passage and always has is that fact that the Samaritan is the one that is giving the example and that in this case is kind of the enemy of the Jews so it is a slap in the face to say you know these people that you thought that you revere like the priest and the Levite like you you already kind of said this but like on paper they look great but like they're not walking in the walk and here, not only is this other person who doesn't have all that, but like it's their enemy. And I think right now there's so much tension and so much division in our country that we're feeling. You know, if we flip this and put this and say like, oh, it was a Democrat who did what was supposed to or a Republican that did what you was, you know what I mean? Like how jarring that would mm-hmm. be. That's how jarring it was for them, you know, and that kind of always strikes me. So I just wanted to that's kind of what jumps out to me about this passage. I don't know if you want to respond. I love that that you, oh my gosh, I love (laughs) that you brought that up because yeah, you can read scripture and parables and think like, oh my gosh, those, those Levites, they were crazy or like, Mm -hmm. how dare they? But I mean, it could be as simple as like, like you just, like you said, bringing it into whatever tumultuous context that exists and that will always exist in society. And right now we have elections coming up and there's a lot of like infighting, there's a lot of polarization. And so some people view the other with vitriol. And if we could picture them being, mm-hmm. you know, a part of that Samaritan, be that Samaritan, it, it does change the narrative in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I also like to think of how um, a lot of times there's great work. I've worked so much in the secular space, working with government, so you don't really bring in your faith. This is my first position that I've ever been able to 
insert my faith fully into it, which is great. But I've also been able to insert my faith in a way that's still, you know, professional in that secular government nonprofit space. And sometimes I find that people of faith look down on secular organizations mm-hmm. or groups that are are doing the work that maybe people of faith should be doing or already doing, um, whether it's social justice, whether it's working with the poor and things like mm. that. Um, and so, like, I always wonder, like, are these like the... The Samar- not the Samaritans in a sense, because they're not quite enemies, but sometimes we have this like the church versus the world mm. mantras. And sometimes the world can do good. And by pitting yourself versus and not working with things of the people of the world, we're not serving the, the people that we need to be serving by creating that kind of divide. So I think of that also like could someone could have said like, there's nothing good that can come from a Samaritan, not at all. And in thinking that or doing that, you might shut off the opportunity for good from, you know, secular spaces or, or people that aren't and organizations that don't come directly from the church. So I always think of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that you're absolutely right that there is that attitude. And I think Jesus is addressing that here too. You know, the church folks, mm-hmm. the church folks walk on by um, they're not doing the work that they they need to be doing. And I think you're right in our society today, there is that divide. And and are there jobs that the church or the people of faith should be stepping into that, that they're not? Um, I think that's that's really a good point. I also think, too, you mentioned earlier the, Fra- the Francis quote about who could fit into this person that's off the side of the road. I think we can look at that from different perspectives, mm-hmm. too, and who we're passing by. You know, so not only the not only the people that pass by and who are our enemies, who's the Samaritan, but then who is that person that that's in the street that we are walking by if we're the priest in the scenario or the Levite in the scenario? I don't know if you want to speak more to that. No, I love that. He kind of flips it because I think, well, I always read it not to be like, I I read it the same way that right. Francis <laughs> read it, but I always read it from seeing who are the people lying down. But most of the time when I've heard homilies and things like that, it focuses on what we talked about previously, the, um, you know, that discord between the Samaritans and the Levites or the priests and things like that, and how unsuspecting it was for the Samaritan to be the person that loved their neighbor the best and showed mercy towards their neighbor. But I'm always thinking about that person lying. Well, who was this person? Like, what happened to him? And what about this? Was this person also a Samaritan? Do we know? Was this person maybe a leper or someone that was um, discarded by society because of some other reason? What was it about this person that made it so easy for them to ignore? And so I, I feel so bad for the na- Like, I really do get emotional from that person because can you imagine maybe witnessing or seeing someone that you think, right. there goes a priest, this person will help me. Or there goes a Levite, mm-hmm. this person will help me. And being dismissed once and then being dismissed twice. See, being seen, but then also being ignored at the same time. It's so hurtful. And I think about stories that I've heard in, in volunteer work that I've done and really engaging in meaningful conversations with people that we serve. and hearing their stories and feeling like they've been seen for the first time, really mm-hmm. truly seen for the first time, working with homeless and having them tell me that they've never heard their name for like months or weeks. They don't hear their name often. They're not asked about how they are. 
that in- encounter is lost when we ignore the person lying on the side of the road. So that like that's always touched me. I've always wondered like, well, who was this person and why was he easy to ignore? And who is that neighbor now? That neighbor could be someone that is maybe that protester that's protesting for Black lives mm-hmm. that you might mm-hmm. view with some sort of disdain. Or maybe it's the immigrant that came to the country mm-hmm. without a legal path. Maybe it's the prisoner that is re- is asking for restorative justice in the prison system rather than just penal punishment. Um, maybe it's the single mother who has multiple children with multiple fathers, but is asking for you to look at her as a whole woman with hopes and dreams and rather than judgment for making decisions that didn't quite align to your viewpoint Ooh. of chastity. <laughs> Maybe it's the LGBTQ in your community and um, you love them, but you don't love them because you whisper and gossip and hope that they would shed parts of their identity so that they can be welcome into the church. Who is that person lying on the road to, to you and how can you not only see them but rather than go on the opposite side of the road, continue on and reach out to them. So many of us, and I've been guilty of this, see them and walk mm-hmm. to the other side of the road. And you you've hurt them multiple times. I've been I've been the neighbor and I've been mm-hmm. the Levite, I guess. Um, I won't call myself <laughs> a priest. <laughs> but I've also been the mm-hmm. Samaritan, right? Um, so I've played a role in each part of these. I've played each part of this story. So I think that's why it touches me so much because I know how painful it is to be that neighbor or that person lying on the side of the road and being dismissed, especially from Mm. people of faith. And I also know how easy it is because of that shield of piety or assumed piety to ignore or to have a blind spot towards those that you might experience around you that are in need. Oh my gosh, you articulated so much so well there. I I love, I think it's always a good exercise to put ourselves into the gospels. And I like how you said that at different points, maybe in your life that you've experienced all of the positions pretty much. Just to keep with the text, like I, you had mentioned, you wonder who was this, this person. And really all it says is that they fell victim to robbers. And that's it. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, a man who who fell victim to robbers and you don't know much more, but he was stripped and beat and left for half dead. So yeah, what did what did the people who passed by, what did they see and what was, the, I mean, there was no interaction, but did they look at and just keep going? Did the person cry out? Did the person was even conscious to, to know that they had been passed by? But it doesn't really matter because I like what you said, that that presence, I mean, they had to have known that that they were waiting for someone. And if, if they did see that person mm-hmm. pass by, like what that feeling would have been. You mentioned homelessness, and I think that's probably the the easiest example to kind of go with because I think we we all experience like walking past to homeless people and, and not knowing what to do. My students are always like, I don't, you know, I just don't know what to do. What's the best thing? My parents tell me not to give them money or whatever. And I'm like, but I kind of tell them what you described. I said, just encounter them, look them in the eye, and I'll say that you don't have something or you're not able to, or 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 just tell them to have a nice day, or they'll pr- you'll pray for them. You know, they're kids, so I don't want them to engage too much. I also want them to be safe. But you know, for myself, like mm-hmm. asking if I can buy them a meal or to have a gift card maybe ready readily available or something like that, or like I don't know. That's just the the kind of the easiest example. But I liked how you also mentioned all of these other people, like the mother that just putting our our prejudices aside. I think that's what's hard about this, you know, <laughs> like 
we, we yes. want to walk by because we don't want to engage. We don't want to, we want to go dive to that part of ourselves, but you said it so well, go ahead and, and jump in here. Cause I'm, I'm just at a loss. Like I think you, you, no. you said everything <laughs> that I would want to say and you said it better. <laughs> uh, well, also like the greatest example of this, like mercy was mm. Christ, right? He engaged with people that you could easily judge and society wouldn't have said yeah. anything negative about you if you didn't want to share a meal with tax collectors or talk with a, the adulterous woman or deal with the leper because obviously you don't want to get sick. You don't want to, you know, you're protecting yourself. Why would you want to engage with those people? You don't want people to think that you are also mm-hmm. um, supportive just by engaging with them and encountering them. You might be supporting their behavior. And those are kind of arguments that a lot of people give to ignore those that are in the margins of our society. And I think that um, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. I always think of what, well, if God ever asked me to account for my actions, I want to be able to say that, you know, I did my best and not that, well, people would say, and God's, would uh, I don't know. I'm speaking for him, which is kind of foolish, but I always think like, <laughs> what did you do for the least of my people has nothing to do with what other people will say about you. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, but we spend so much time, even if, as people of faith, worried about what other people of faith will say about mm-hmm. us when we don't even know their hearts fully. God is the only one that we should be worried about that. That is the judgment that matters the most. If we can extend ourselves outside of our comfort zones, outside of our echo chambers and bubbles Mm -hmm. of whatever, that is the best thing that we could do for those that are around us. And when I think of justice, mercy has to exist. And the last line of the reading is like, it simplifies that the person that was neighbor to the robber, the robber's victim was the one that treated him with mercy. Mm -hmm. And Jesus tasked the man to go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. And so that ta- that means taking a risk. That means stepping out of your comfort zone. That means seeing and engaging in a deep encounter with every person that you can. Does that mean we'll be able to do it all the time? There's definitely times that I, I don't stop for every homeless person that I see, but I pray for them, mm-hmm. right? I, I really try to do my best. Um, there are times that for my own personal protection, I can't engage in every discussion about mm-hmm. race or injustice or whatever, because I only have some, I want to protect my heart. And that's part of, you know, chastity is also protecting your, your energy and your heart and your story, um, how much you share about yourself. Right. I shouldn't be convincing people to see their neighbor. Hopefully they can try to see it. And I, my example helps them, but I really, I really just love, <laughs> If you can't tell, I love this reading. Yeah, no, it's, per- it's great. <laughs> so much. And it goes so well with, you know, your story, obviously, and, and what you do with Christian service. I think you make a really good point. There are certain cases where we have to have boundaries, you know, personal boundaries and mm-hmm. safety. Absolutely. But I don't think that means not breaking our comfort zones. We do need to be go outside of our comfort zone. Certainly the Samaritan did. They, he knew that this person was, well, we I guess we don't know because, again, we don't know much about the robber. But I mean, he, he was risking something and I love how he goes back and even like checks up on him, like, or, or says that if, mm-hmm. if like he, if the person stays longer at, at the inn or wherever he took him, that he will come back and like on his way back, repay whatever, what else is needed. Like he goes above and beyond just 
Yes. You know, just he doesn't encounter. just throw him money right. and right. say like, oh, you were just robbed. It's like, here's some money. Go figure out how to get help. He he picks him up. So he, you know, having been robbed and beaten, that's, that's a very uncomfortable encounter in and of itself to approach someone that's been stripped of their clothing. So they, that person is kind of in the lowest of their lows. You're, you're humbling yourself in that encounter right away, lifting them up. They could be like, you know, half clothed. So that's kind of weird. (laughs) Um, Putting them on your, (laughs) putting them on your own animal. So, you know, Mm -hmm. using your animal, using your own resources, your monetary resources to pay for the inn and, asking for them to be cared for not just like tossing them uh, the money and ignoring them and never coming back following up like you said and really caring for them and making sure that the person not just is clothed or healed but they really feel like they can be a person of dignity because their dignity Mm -hmm. was stripped from being robbed and beaten so they now can have a chance to privately regain dignity um, rather than publicly being humili- in, humiliated. So I don't know how open that road is. I have no idea what the traffic was like in, yeah. in that time near Samaria, if it was a crowded street, if it was rush hour or anything <laughs> like that there. But definitely those that saw him saw him and ignored him. And and that is a humiliating experience. So taking him away from that that experience of humiliation was important and also using his resources was important as well. You're right. I, that care, like the line says in my, my text, take care of him. So not just like you said, throwing Mm -hmm. money at him, but like who, so then I guess we can even put ourselves in the perspective of the person that received, you know, the, the, the Samaritan, like where they brought this person, the robber, you know, like the person receiving and then having to care for the robber. That might be a podcast for another time, but, but like that, that the person has to actually take care. And and I think that it, we don't have that care necessarily today. I think my students often know like, oh yeah, I can donate or, oh yeah, I can, you know, clean up, you know, and, and do certain tangible things, but it's that care, it's that encounter. And that's the stuff that we don't necessarily want to take the time for. And that's the stuff that like exactly. makes us like walk by, but that's the part that we need, <laughs> you know, and we need to go back yes. and revisit and follow up, <laughs> not just a one time yes. thing. And I think, uh, like, like you said, the innkeeper now has the, a, a responsibility. So there's a ripple effect of charity that's happening there. Mm-hmm. So not, yes, there's an exchange of money. So the innkeeper is being paid for the care that he's giving, but that, that act of charity, maybe the innkeeper recognizes him as a Samaritan and might be shocked mm-hmm. in his encounter. That changes the, hopefully would change the heart of that innkeeper. And maybe if he ever comes up with a situation where he might have to act in the same way, he can do the same. And he, because of that witness of that Samaritan, he has been given an example of what true mercy means and going above and beyond means. And so some of us might be might just be planting seeds by how we engage with one another, engage with those in the margins, or even just those of us. I always tell young people, like, try to talk with the most unliked kid in the school. Mm-hmm. If and it's gonna be the hardest thing ever, that's your mission for the year. Try to have that conversation. If you yourself think you're the most unliked kid in school, and sometimes that's been the case, try to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And there was a kid in one of my classes that spoke up and said, like, this is what I'm going through. I've been bullied and I've been dealing with all of this stuff. And this is how it makes me feel. And it was like, 
they the kids in middle school you kind of are just like ah, like this and this and this is like rubber to people but for some people it seeps deep into their soul Mm -hmm. and that class was an amazing class because those students were able to see that neighbor right Mm -hmm. understand that neighbor whenever i do this parable in class i often like give an example of like a kid is just bullied outside of school they like someone beat him up and you're walking by and you're you're like the three people so they like do a skit but now they've seen someone in their class that they'd like, that they've engaged with. Um, maybe they go to school with them, maybe they don't. And they now have an example of what it feels like to be that mm-hmm. humiliated person. And now they can see that person in the next time that they experience bullying or whatever in a school. So it could be a small, well, small to us, but huge to middle schoolers, or it could be as huge as, you know, racial justice. But mm-hmm. It's work that in seeds that need to be continued to be planted. Absolutely. I think that this parable has become so common. You know, it's it's referenced so much mm-hmm. and people who aren't even maybe necessarily Christian know the the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think that that sometimes things become too familiar so we don't dive into it and think about how it really is, it makes us should make us uncomfortable that Jesus, going back to what we started with, like it meant was meant to make them uncomfortable a little bit. So I I appreciate you taking the time to really dive into this, to pick this apart and look at all of the, from all of the perspectives. I think it's a really good exercise for us to think about who would that be the person on the side of the road that would be hard for, that would be easy for us to pass up. And then, you know, maybe what would be outside of our comfort zone. I think that's such a good exercise. So I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to to say about this, maybe applying it more to our present day or I don't know, any kind of final thoughts you have on this. Um, I really always invite people to have conversations with groups of people that you might feel uncomfortable having conversations mm-hmm. with in a respectful way, not like a combative, I feel yeah. guilty or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, this is my penance and making the person feel like uncomfortable in that encounter. But whether it's like a population that you might feel judgment, um, I often say if there's a topic that grates at you, dig into it and think about why that great thing you pray about it and try to encounter people that are different from you, whether it's, you know, going beyond donating to a homeless shelter, obviously with COVID it's like more difficult, but there's soup kitchens that are open and they allow you to have quick conversations when you serve people. There are places that are giving meals to families and you can see the faces of those that are part of these bucket populations that we talk about so broadly, Mm -hmm. but you can see faces. So when I talked about that single mother, I have a face to that name because I've encountered a woman or many women like her. Mm -hmm. When I talk about the immigrants, I have seen faces that I've encountered through my community organizing that exemplify that immigrant. And so once you can see a face behind a demographic or behind a marginalized group, hopefully if your heart is in the right place, hopefully you're less likely to dismiss them. It's easy to dismiss what you don't see and what you don't encounter and what you choose not Mm -hmm. to engage with. Mm -hmm. So continue to make the choice to engage in ways that make you spiritually uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because when I think of the saints, they experience a lot of, you know, discomfort. The closer and closer you come to God, the more you're called for discomfort, I think. And so there's probably some sort of equation there, but I think that 
that's actually a good thing. It's, it, it purifies the soul to be spiritually uncomfortable and, and ask God for guidance in that moment of humility and discomfort towards working towards justice. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, that discomfort, it's what we're afraid of. But then, I mean, just like mm-hmm. this person was a stranger to this man and kind of still remained a stranger. I mean, he never he did go back to make sure that he was taken care of. But for us to to get to know maybe that that stranger that that maybe makes us uncomfortable yeah. and, and learn their story, because then you become familiar and then it's not as scary anymore. You know, I think that's the problem is we're all yeah. we have all these fears and we're holding on to those fears rather than trying to get to know what how, what we can do to make us less afraid and that that is yes that's the encounter part that's what we need we will become less afraid if we're actually stepping out outside of our comfort zones and encountering people and learning their stories yeah and he was he's getting nothing back i mean right the the man was robbed right <laughs> there's nothing he's gonna gain from this but just being merciful towards that person absolutely oh, this is so good and i think i mean we can all see how well this applies to our story today. So for our listeners, think about, you know, think about what's hard about this and and where you fit and and what we can do and and challenge ourselves with myself included. Um, At the end of the podcast, I usually like to give people a chance to plug. I know that you have an amazing podcast uh, and encourage people to listen to. Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to promote at this time? Um, No, I would love for you to check out my podcast. Tell me if you can. Mm -hmm. It's on Apple, Spotify, the major podcasting platforms. I do have a website for it. It's tellmeifyoucan.com where you can see a little bit of the show and also check out my speaker page. If you ever would like to have a public speaker, I'm happy to come and talk with your parish, your group to share uh, my experiences and tools for racial justice and community organizing. I'm on Instagram, catch me if you can Mm -hmm. and tell me if you can podcast. So check me out on Instagram. That's where I met Julia. So (laughs) it's a great place to meet fellow Catholics. So I would recommend checking out Instagram. And I just pray that you all continue to be kind to one another, especially as this election comes close and hold God in your hearts. That's so well said. Thank you, Ogachi. And if you guys want to follow me at Seven Mile Chats on Instagram at Miss Struckley One on Twitter. And if anyone wants to talk scripture with me, if there's a passage you'd like to discuss, feel free to reach out to me. Or if you have comments or questions, um, you can find me on those platforms. But thank you so much for giving us a lot to think about today, Ogechi. And um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone.